This is episode 163 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. We're continuing Winter Youth 2008 Epiphany Kingdom with Chris C. This is session five. You take a seat where you are. It, um, it really has been a beautiful thing to be with you guys. I'm going to bug out quickly tomorrow to get home to my four kids and our kind of Christmas celebration with my family. So um, I look forward to getting to visit with, uh, with many of you tonight and in the morning before we, we leave. But know that, uh, that you're a remarkable group, that I believe that God is doing something in your lives. And I'm excited to, uh, to hear what all this, that is. I told you my, um, my worst job when I was growing up, but I think my best one before I was a pastor and, and got um, the opportunity to serve uh, a church full-time was I was, how many, I was a lifeguard. How many of you are lifeguards before? There's a, it's, a, it, it's a cool job. You, you get paid to sit and get skin cancer. And um, I'm going to sue the pools when I get older. I've already planted. I've already hired a lawyer. So I know I'll get skin cancer later. So I've already got all my documentation. So I just encourage you, if you are a lifeguard, document the hours that you're out there. And you won't have to pay for the medical bills later with the cancer. So it's just that, that stuff's free, by the way. I just throw that out to you just as an added bonus um, on the evening. You're welcome. That's what I'm here for. Tithe on that, though. When you win the lawsuit, make sure you tithe on it or you'll go to hell. So, um, so the, I, I loved being a lifeguard. Part of it was, and I kicked back into this mode a few years ago in this crazy place. I was... Um, but part of being a lifeguard is like, this is your pool, and you protect the pool, and you don't want anybody to fall or stub their toe or anything to happen. You twirl your whistle around, and you bark orders, and you keep your place safe, right? And I was in, uh, in the Bahamas with my family suffering for Jesus, because I love Jesus more than most of you do. And as I was serving there on the beach, um, um, preaching to the waves and things like that. I, uh, I had my baby on my hip, and we'd just gotten out there, and we're just really relaxing. We had really good friends that brought us out. And uh, we're, we're standing on the beach, and I hear there were these um, teenage girls that had been kind of screaming and acting crazy, and I hear these screams behind me, and I'm thinking, these girls are bugging me, kind of like I was last night about one when some of you were screaming. And, um, and I, it's okay. I forgive you. It's the gospel calls us to reconcile. So, um, so I, I hear this scream, and I turn, and I look behind me, and there's blood all in the water. It's literally everywhere. And so I, I toss, I kick back into lifeguard mode. I toss my baby to my wife and begin to swim out to this girl. And when I get out there, she's about 15. She has a big chunk taken out of her arm. A shark had bit her arm. And um, she was bleeding really quickly. So I had another pastor friend there who was smart. He ran and grabbed a towel so that by the time I was trying to pull her in, she had another friend with her and um, was just in high school girl freakout mode. You know, she just was looking at the blood and screaming and, ah! you know, and I'm just like, you're not helping here. I almost, I t- was really tempted to punch the girl in the nose just to like, she wasn't helping. She was freaking us out. And so here I was, I, I bring her in and we put... Uh, pressure on it, and she gets um, life flighted back to the United States, and they sewed her up, and she was okay. The hard part for me was um, we had just gotten to this beach like 30 minutes before, and we were spending five days there with my kids, right? So it's not like you come to the Bahamas and be like, I'm never getting in the beach again, you know? You, so 
for the rest of the week, I just I kept a knife in the sand. And while my kids were swimming, I'm like, I'm going to stab a shark, you know. <laughs> I just know it. I'm convinced. And it didn't help that of all the weeks we could be there, and there's only like five channels in this little place we were staying. One of them was Discovery Channel. You know what week it was? Shark Week. Shark Week. So I go back at night, and I'm just like, after this encounter, and this girl uh, that you, literally I thought was going to die, and um, we, we pull her in. Then I just sit up all night and watch shark footage, you know? And so when I get out there the next day, I'm just looking for sharks. I'm just like, they're, I know they're ready to eat my babies or something, and I'm coming after them, right? My, my hope um, not, is not that any of you would ever be bit by a shark, um, it, but is that you would adopt, that you would have this kinship with your school, with your town, with your church, with your neighborhood, in that same kind of way, that you would feel this calling, this protection. That was my beach. It wasn't just my kids. Like I, Families would show up days later, and, I'm, I, and I'd just brief them. I'd be out with my clipboard, like, who knows that there were sharks here and that somebody was bit, you know? I was like, like, who are you? Like, who appointed you the head lifeguard on the Bahamian beaches? And I'm like, me, I'm here, and I'm informing you what's happened, and I have a knife, and I will kill this shark with you. So. We had teams, and it was kind of Baywatch, but not really with the pretty women and handsome men, just regular people, Baywatch. So, so my, my hope is that you would have that. My, my friends there in the Bahamas, this church that I was preaching at, they, they adopted that same kind of mentality. They, they began to look around, and they realized there were places, people, places in their neighborhood that were deeply broken. And I wanted to show you a clip from one as we talk about what, what it means to be sacred, what it means to see redemption. And then we're going to read from Romans chapter 8 together and wrap up some of what we were talking about this morning. So this is a place, and the only way I can explain it to you is to be able to see it, uh, called sacred, sacred Space. This is on Nassau, um, the big island in the Bahamas. You can go ahead and click it up. And, um, and you'll be able to see this place that was a junkyard now is this place of real beauty. That's the real struggle for the church, is um, that we have tried to, um, to make much of the world secular rather than sacred. And the way that we've compartmentalized life has kept God out of these places. Part of a return to true Christianity is about saying that everything is sacred. What we do with our family, what we do um, in our homes, what we do in our business, it's, it's all sacred. It, it all belongs to God, and God is present and active there. And it's a sad reality that we've embraced. What the church has already determined is Gnosticism. It's, it's actually been deemed as heresy. Um, this historical movement that they said that, that this is of the, the flesh and it's evil and this is of God and it's sacred. And the church said, no, that's not right. It, it all belongs to God. All beauty is God's beauty. All truth is God's truth. And it's time that we return to that understanding of a true and historical Christianity. And in that place, um, we'll find sacredness everywhere. My friend uh, Clint Kemp, is, um, his church found this place. And um, it was a a dump site. It was a place where people all over this island came and they dumped their trash, their old appliances, their refrigerators. And um, they saw um, what, what I think Jesus saw whenever he looked any place, when he looked at a leper, when he looked at 
uh, prostitute, when he looks at me, when he looks at you, he's, they saw a hope for redemption, something beautiful um, that could be here. And so they began to come weekend after weekend and haul off the trash, take out the junk, and as they, um, as they did, they began to, um, to dream a little bit about what could happen here. That these um, trees, many of them that had, had died, that they could become um, true works of art. They call it sacred space. I, I, um, I, I wish that churches everywhere could look around their community and find uh, the junkyards. And I'm not just talking the, the pieces of land, but the people. And that they could see um, what they could be. And they could come together to engage that redemptive journey. Now this place, Sacred Space, is known all over this island by so many tourists and other people as the most beautiful place on the planet. And um, this sign of redemption, this junkyard that's now this place of tremendous beauty and hope um, is a symbol for all of us of, um, of what real faith is about. Real transformation, real redemption, real sanctification. If you ever go to Nassau, you can sit at the far end of the island on these handmade benches around this art and watch a sunset. It's one of these places that the sun just comes and it sits on the water for a while and then it's almost like it falls off the shelf. This place that previously had been a junkyard is this deeply sacred and beautiful space. And as we talked about this morning, um, we were created for the garden. We were created for beauty and perfection. And in the midst of fallenness, what was beautiful became deeply ugly and painful. Murder entered in. Tension entered in. Families are now broken and no longer reconciled. We're no longer in full communion with God. Right? And in the midst of that, the beauty of being a person of faith, and this is the part of the answer to the question we're at, what, what are we here for? We're here to be the people that still see what the garden is and that help us to restore the garden. We're the restorers of the garden. We're the people. The kingdom of God is the restored garden where everyone has enough. And our vision is to see in people's lives, not just, oh, that, the, the, the problem with Christianity too often, has been that we've been a people that look down on each other because of their sin. They go, oh, have you, you've heard people talk like this, right? Oh, you know about them. You know, what they, you know what happened in their family. You know what they did. Oh, stay, be careful of them, right? And we, we say, oh, they're sinful. Let's push them over here. Now, did you hear what Paul said to us this morning? Paul, the apostle who wrote, but with the inspiration of God, the majority in the New Testament, said, I am so struggling with sin, this reality that I, I don't do the thing that I want to do, and the thing I don't want to do, I do. I feel like I'm tied to this body of death. The sin, the reality of sin, sound like something that Christians should look down on or flip aside? You can answer me there. No, it doesn't. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's the thing that we look and we say, you know what? That brokenness, that sinfulness, that long is an opportunity for God to redeem. That junkyard can be made back into a garden. 
And that means literal places and literal people. And we are the people that are supposed to have the eyes to see the garden again. So let me read to you in Romans 8. Paul has just brought us to the place in Romans 7 where he feels like, I've got a dead body tied to my back. Sin is ever with me. And it sounds like this is about to get ugly. If Paul still struggles with sin, then what is there? And then these beautiful words come forth from his mouth. I I view Romans, it's kind of like the gospel according to Paul. Romans was the place that Paul hadn't been. And so in Corinthians and all these other places, he was dealing with these little issues with the church in Ephesus. In Romans, he'd never been there. And so they hadn't heard him preach sermons. Paul's sermons were famous. It, um, It would make my sermons feel very, very, very short. In Acts, there's a story where he preaches so long that a kid falls out a window and falls asleep, right? So, um which is really insulting. At least when you fall asleep, none of you fall on the floor. So I can feel a little better, right? So Romans is like the collection. You fell on the floor? Yeah. You know, sometimes I do like to sit down, and then I like to put my, um, my scriptures down. So I'll show you. I'll sit down and read to you. It's for emphasis. I have this chair for my iPhone because it's my idol. <laughs> At least I know my idolatry, so I've repented. But I can read the Bible on it, so it must be good. Right, Paul says in, uh, in Romans, it, this collection of his very best sermons, that he'd never been to Rome, so they hadn't heard it. And he announces this deep struggle with sin, and then he lets them know. But therefore, as a result of all this and what Christ has done, there is now no condemnation. No condemnation awaits those who are living in Jesus, the liberating King, avoiding sin and embracing the Spirit. Because when you live in Him, a new law takes effect. The old law was you got rules, you got to live by them. Don't break the rules, it's all about the rules. Paul says, No, no, there's a new law, and the new law is about the Spirit. It's not about the rules. Because when you live in him, a new law takes effect. The law of the spirit of life breathes into you and rescues you from the law of sin and death. You're no longer a slave to sin. The spirit breathes in and illuminates and changes you. God did something the law could never do. You see, human flesh took its toll on God's law. Just the reality of our brokenness meant the law just almost became useless because all we did was go, wow, look, when you draw a line, you just know when you've crossed it, right? So the law was helpful in that it helped us know, wow, we've crossed the line again, but it didn't really help us stop crossing the line. And our question is, how do we stop crossing the line? How do we see restoration and beauty? How How can we return to the garden? Human flesh took its toll on God's law. And in and of itself, the law is not weak, but the flesh weakens it. So to condemn the sin that was ruling in the flesh, God sent his own son, bearing the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. This is part of the essential understanding of the gospel. So now we're able to live up to the justice demanded by the law. Before Christ came, we were incapable This is part of why when you look at brothers and sisters that aren't in the faith, Christians get really way off on this. 
and we start lobbying. We have political organizations that are about trying to make America a more moral country. Do you think that helps? The only way to morality is through the Spirit of God. If you don't know God, you will never achieve morality. You're just laying down more laws for people that won't actually help them. What we need to declare is not morality. What we need to declare is the love of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's good news. Rules are bad news. A God that came and laid himself down and offered his life so that we might know forgiveness, might breathe into the garden again to restore it, that's good news. So now we're able to live up to the justice demanded by the law, but the ability has not come from living by our fallen human nature. It has come because we walk according to the movement of the Spirit in our lives. That quiet, still voice that you hear, the voice we talked about earlier that said, I I say things I don't even know. If you sit in your lunchroom and you say, God, who would you like me to speak to today? You'll be amazed at what happens. When I tune into that voice, I end up with some of the most remarkable people on the planet talking about life and faith. If you live your life animated by the flesh, namely your fallen, corrupt nature, then your mind is focused on the matters of the flesh. But if you live your life animated by the Spirit, namely God's indwelling presence, then your focus is on the work of the Spirit. A mind focused on the flesh is doomed to death. When you look around you, so many people, their mind is focused on the things they can touch, right? On what you can get and what you can earn and what you can put in your iPod dock, right? But we're a people that believe the most important things in the world you could never touch aren't things of the flesh. But a mind focused on the Spirit will find a full life and complete peace. You see, a mind focused on the flesh is declaring war against God. Right? We've talked about this in some of your sessions. That before we know God, we have been an enemy of God. And Romans 8 tells us that we can move from being an enemy of God to being a son and a daughter of God. That's good news. So it's clear that God takes no pleasure in those who live life oriented to the flesh. But you who do not live in the flesh, you live in the Spirit, assuming, of course, that the Spirit of God lives inside of you. The truth is that anyone who does not have the Spirit of the Liberator living within does not belong to God. If the liberating king lives in you, then God's restorative justice. This is what God does. He makes things right by restoring and redeeming things. Is breathing life into your spirits, despite the fact that sin brings death into your bodies. If the spirit of the one who resurrected Jesus from the dead lives inside of you, then you can be sure that he will cast the light of life into your mortal bodies through the life-giving power of the spirit residing in you. Here's the good news, if you didn't catch all that. You don't have to do this. Your will won't do it. Deciding, I'm going to be a better Christian. I'm going to be a better, I am going to be a better Christian. It won't do it. The path is about submission to the Spirit. Saying, God, would you do something through me that I couldn't do on my own? If, if I see at times among you that remarkable gentleness, I'm reminded that that gentleness isn't yours. It comes from God, right? 
kindness and wisdom, that all these gifts come as gifts from God. So tonight, as you go out and feast, this is what I'd love for you to focus on. What does life in the Spirit look like? I'll promise you, it's a lot better than life in the flesh. What does it look like for the Spirit to animate our relationships, change the way that we interact, and call us to this place of kindness, and live a Christianity that's not about the rules? And for many of us, this is a major switch. It's not about you don't do this, and you do this, and you don't do this, and you do this. No, it's about saying, I'm going to follow the leadership of the Spirit, and the Spirit will birth within us is restoring justice. Let me pray for you, and then we are going to feast really well. We're going to worship, we're going to pray, and we're going to eat good food. This is what God made us to do. So, Nachos. Somebody eat some nachos for me. A big plate. God, you made us to celebrate. Your kingdom is a place of celebration. It's a declaration that you are doing something beautiful in the world, and we have seen pictures of your kingdom as we've gathered. We've felt uh, love of brothers and sisters. We have heard clearly that your love is not contingent on what we do or do not do. And so, God, we have much to celebrate. So may tonight we eat good food. May we laugh well. May we have moments of honesty and confession, places of brokenness and despair. Would you give us the humility that Paul had if he could be the apostle and lead the church in his day and could be so honest about his struggle with sin? Lord, could you allow us to have that same vulnerability and honesty so that we might also see redemption and restoration? Lord, call us back and lead us back into the garden, the place we were made for the kingdom of God, the place where everyone has enough, where love abounds, where grace and forgiveness reign. We pray all of this in your name. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.